Hey everybody, welcome back to the discussion phase, a board gaming podcast where we take a break from playing the games we love to talk about the games we love. I'm your host, Brady. And I'm Matthew. And it's just us tonight, and we're going to be talking about our top 10 games that we really want to love, but we just can't muster it up. And then uh, we're going to be finishing out with a new series segment uh, called The Chopping Block, where we talk about games that are making their way out of our collection. So stick around, and as always, buckle up. Alrighty, Matthew. So once again, we find ourselves, the real OGs here, holding down the fort. Yeah, it reminds me of simpler times when there's just the two of us getting things started. I know. We're mm-hmm. getting used to having all the other guys join us, but I enjoy yeah. just having the two of us, though. Yeah, everybody bailed on us tonight. Yeah. Uh, but that's good, because we get to talk about some more uh, more intimate things, about getting getting to know you better and about us. We're not going to be arguing about like a collaborative list today. We're going to be talking about our list, our personal yeah. list. Our thoughts, our feelings. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as we always do with our episodes, we like to do a little weekly rundown. Um, you know, with us, we love keeping track of our games, our plays and stuff. It's like our uh, meta game within the game, our gaming group is like, keeping track of who's been playing the what game when and where um so Ray, what's some plays that you've gotten in some of uh um some you've got you we've gotten actually a couple new games in this week um uh, so yeah. I, one of them is uh, actually tosh kalar which is actually not a new game but it was a new game to us yeah this was one that steven resurrected from uh who knows when um but it and i don't know um it kind of plays like or it's like an abstract game that's got a little bit of uh, like gladiator esque fantasy gladiator esque theme onto it, and you, I think you said it. I don't know. Is it go that where you're like trying to like capture each other's pieces and like convert them into? Your I've never played go, but from what I know of it, you have your you got a black uh, circle disc and white circle disc, and you're trying to play it to. I think I could be way off on this, but my understanding is to take control of the board by placing and replacing your opponent's pieces. Yeah, so it, it is, I feel like, a gladiator-themed Go. I don't think, I don't feel like I've ever played Go before. I feel like I've played something like that. Um, but it. I will say, Toshkalar doesn't necessarily get me jazzed. I have the hardest time, because um, it is about like putting pieces on the board and orienting them in a certain direction um, based off of the cards that you have that kind of give you special abilities. And I just have the hardest time like looking at the like pattern on the card and trying to make that work on the board. And I'm like flipping my card all kinds of different directions going like, okay, does that, does that work? And like, I don't know. My yeah. Cause the central premise is that on your turn, you have one or two actions that you can do. You can either place a disc out on the grid, which is it's, it's a board that's battle. It's like a battle arena, but it's a grid um, probably 15 by 15 or 12 by 12. Um, or you can play a card, uh, which is kind of like an action card ability card if you have a specific alignment on the board and a lot of times when you play these cards it allow you to put out new pieces and to replace your opponent's piece if they're if they're in proximity uh to you kind of reminded what is the name of um it's just slipped my mind it's that it's highly recommended on the, these dice tower essential list it's um it's kind of like the alternative board game version of chess with the, is it like yinch or something like that no you essentially you have these cards and uh you play it and and based on um the symbols on the card, you get to move your pieces uh, back and forth. Oh, is it? 
it's a Onitama. Onitama. Okay. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Uh, but in Onitama, <laughs> I've never played that one. Um, I've, pl- I've, I've played the app version of it. But essentially, it's like a mini version of chess, but you can only take actions based on these cards, and the cards have these orthogonal or diagonal movements you can take with your pieces, and you're trying to capture the other pieces. Kind of reminded me a lot of that when we were playing Tosh Kalar. But it's by the renowned designer Vlada. I always, I never know how to pronounce his last name. It's Trottle, Trudel. Uh, but he's the designer of Through the Ages, Mage Knight, a board game, Galaxy Trucker, all the code names. I mean, yeah. he has just a, a, a very wide repertoire of games. Yeah. Like, you can't pin that guy down. No, it's From like code names to Mage Knight. Yeah, if you want to pick a designer, had just a wide array of games. But like I mentioned, it's been out for a while. It came out in 2013. And really, the first time I'd really pay attention to it is when Steven brought it to the group. Um, I always enjoy like puzzly aspects in games. Uh, I enjoy Cryptid, um, which is a game we need to get played more. That's one of the reasons I enjoy Five Tribes, um, because it's like a competitive puzzle. If you can see several moves ahead. I do want to play Cryptid more. Yeah. I saw that you're confusing me because I saw that you had it on your want to trade list, but then you were like, oh, I love this game. So I, I probably put it on, on my board game geek as I want to trade for a long time, but it's not, it's probably a part put on there because we just hadn't got it played. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not that I didn't like fun. the game, but I was trying to, there were some other games I was trying to get a hold of, and I was just listing a bunch of stuff as want to trade to hopefully try to match with people. Uh, I think it was a good game. I don't know if it's one that I will just dine to get back and play. We played a 2v2. Um, so it was interesting having a teammate. You're talking about Tosh Kalar. Tosh Kalar, yeah. uh, because you had the little element of, although you're working with your teammate, you can't directly communicate with your teammate of what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, so you're trying to play off each other and trying to fur what each other are going to do. So I enjoyed that aspect of it, probably honestly more. Yeah, and I, I played like a two different um, styles of it. We played like a death match version where like the the goal and you got points for like eliminating other. Um, pieces but then we the other night we played a team version where the goal was to like get these objective cards which essentially like um gave you points for for being in different positions so yeah. it did not give you points for a limit for eliminating for positioning um, yourself really players. most and uh, it was kind of a little disconnect i think because when i first played it was like my attention is like i want to remove my enemy's pieces yeah, yeah. and you kind of do yeah and i also was focused more on that than actually completing objectives so I think I like the objective version better, but you do. Uh, moving on, my uh, David treated me to Unmatched the other day, which is like a two-player sort of uh, skirmish game um, mm. with it's kind of card-driven, but has like some simple actions. So uh, we played the Cobble and Fog version of that game. I know there's like a million different ones, and this was the first time I had ever played it. So he played as uh, shoot, who did he play? I played as Jekyll and Hyde. Oh, he played as Dracula. Um, and so he had like little assistants and everything. And we were just basically running around the streets of London, making different moves and playing these special cards. So I liked the the like give and take of it. It was pretty straightforward. The cards were either like these like special lightning abilities or basically attack or defense or like a combination of the two. And it was like you could really teach it and like, two minutes and be playing and the the different characters I, I just played Jekyll and Hyde but it felt like it was different like the um the cards that I could play uh were limited based on who I was at the time so if I was Jekyll I could only play these cards if I was Hyde I could only play these cards I'm assuming it was an action to switch your yeah yeah it was an action and it was like 
uh, hide was more powerful, but to like move, it hurt me. And so if I wanted, I could hit hard, but if I did, I was kind of also taking damage. Um, so it was pretty fun. I can see how, like, it's a pretty simple rule set, but it kind of leaves just enough room for, uh, like different character abilities and stuff like that. Yeah. And there's a lot of different, um, uh, combinations of characters you can play. There's the Cobble and the Fog, which you just mentioned, which also includes Sherlock Holmes and Watson. There's Jurassic Park. Um, there's Robin Hood, and there's a Bigfoot one in there too. And there's like these legend characters that it includes like Simbad and some other Medusa, some other characters. Yeah, the only thing uh, that I have beef with this game is that I the Jurassic Park one sounds awesome. Like I really, I would love to play as the Raptors. But it's the only box set where it's like matching characters, which is super lame because it's like the Raptors versus the Trappers from Jurassic Park. I wanted to see some cool head-to-head thing where like one of them is like um, Robin Hood and Bigfoot. Like those two are awesome. So I wanted to see like the Raptors from Jurassic Park versus like the aliens from Aliens, like two apex predators going at each other. Yeah, playing as the the keepers of the park from Jurassic Park yeah. doesn't seem very Sounds exciting. That's, so just a, that's just a ripoff of Raptor, yeah. the two-player game. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. And the one like, thing about Unmashed, and I played it a couple times with David as well, and I've been begging for him to get the uh, Buffy the Vampire set because I love Buffy the Vampire, and so I think it'd be fun just to play as that character in Unmatched. But um, it reminds me of a more accessible version of something like uh, Battlecon or any of those type of uh, games to where... It's all about, or there's some Street Fighter um, type card games as well, um, where it's all about you have a board, but you have um, a single strip on the board to where you can either move forward or backwards. And a lot of your attacks are based on how close you are, pushing yourself away, um, where Unmatched is a little more three-dimensional. You can move forwards and backwards uh, in a much Unmatched, and it gives you, I feel, a lot more flexibility uh, in your gameplay and I feel like it's just the ease of play and accessibility compared to, um, like we said, Exceed or Battlecon or anything like that. You know, even though you, you, when you play these games, you want to be competitive with them. And I feel like Unmatched does a really good um, job with bringing a player in, letting them feel like they can still be competitive on their first go of it, but they still want to play it more. I mean, after you finished playing it, did you want to play yeah, it again? I. I think David might have been taking it a little easy on me. I, I see you out there, David, but uh, I did win the first game as uh, as Jekyll and Hyde. Um, but as far as like these like uh, entry level um, sort of skirmish games, there's another game you are just recently hyped out of your mind about. What is that, Matthew? And that is Dice Thrones. Um, I know I used to I not even care about this game just because of the word dice in the name of the game. Um, but I was at a game group, uh, over the past weekend and a guy brought it. I was like, you know what? I enjoy playing new games. Let's give it a shot. And I was blown away by just how not like mechanically phenomenal the game was, but, but just how quick and fun and just exciting it was, uh, to play the game. Cause you know, we love our euros are, you know, bent over the table, heads down, thinking, crunching out all the optimal moves we can make in our, uh, worker placements or our engine buildings, which we love. Um, but I know some of the other guys in the group, like Jacob, he's like, we just need some change of pace games. And I played it and I was blown away just by, like I said, how fun it was. I mean, if you really want to boil it down to, I know Brady, he keeps telling me this is just uh, King of Tokyo 2.0, which <laughs> the, the only similarity I think to King of Tokyo has is that there are dice 
and there's combat in it and that you can roll them up to three times but the, that's the whole game that's the whole game of king of tokyo right but there. but you won't win the game in dice throne unless you do card management well unless you optimize and synergize your character because every character is asymmetric unique you have at least eight or nine unique uh actions that you can use these dice for every character has these um character tokens which allows you to interact with other players attacks special abilities and it allows you to zig and to zag when things are happening to you and there's a lot of cards that let you mitigate and affect dice or re-roll dice or actually just change the dice how you need to um, if you've done it correctly, because one of the things you can gather in the game is a resource called combat points. I don't know why they call it combat points. It's just the, the economy that you get and it helps you pay for cards. Uh, and a lot of these cards allow you to interact with the game and have control on it. Um, so you're not just going to win the game by just rolling. And even if you roll well, you're not going to win the game. If someone is upgrading their character boards better than you are, because that's one of the things you can do is, you know what? I really want to focus on my defensive abilities. I'm going to upgrade my defensive uh, roles. I really want to focus on getting more efficient uh, of my character tokens. that let me uh, mitigate things that are happening to me. Or do I want to focus on strengthening up my attack ability so you can actually focus on upgrading your asymmetric character of hand management and uh, interacting because it got down to just me and another guy playing and i was about to lose but i had a better hand that i held on to and i managed that let me um interact with what he was doing even as the defender um and i know we played some other games here like what is it, eternal um yeah, the deck building game. The deck okay. building game. And essentially, you know, you're sitting around and you're attacking the person to your left and then you're attacking the person to your left and the attacks keep going around and around. Um, but sometimes you're like, man, if I just get a bad hand draw, I just have to eat all this damage that this person is attacking me with. But I felt in Dice Throne, I always had something up my sleeve. If I had prepared for it, that I could interact and try to evade things were happening or... I just felt that even though there was dice and there was luck with the dice, I still felt like I had a lot of control. So, I mean, it's not a cheap game. It was like a hundred bucks uh, to get it. Um, you already bought it after one place. I already bought it after one place. Oh, so it should goodness. be here in the next couple. Hopefully we can get it played before we record the next uh, episode. But like I said, like it took 20, 25 minutes. There's eight different characters just in the season one. And this is the season one rerolled. So all the artwork, graphic, dice, everything, cards have all been revamped and like, top top level quality of components in there yeah i, I think you it, played the original yeah i played it, it a looks, few years ago um and it still looked good like uh i like there was a gunslinger i think in the one that i played i'm pretty sure I oh that now that's the gunslinger was in the second season so the second season is the most current so they re-updated the first season to match oh. the second season Okay, yeah. So I, I did play the like a newer one. Like it still looked phenomenal. That had like custom inserts and all of this stuff. Okay. For each one. Um, and that's that they went back to season one and they revamped. Did all it. that? Yeah. yeah. So um, I just I think for me the the like Yahtzee style dice rolling just feels very fiddly to me. And like the care, you know, the game looks beautiful and the characters look interesting. So it made me want to like the game, but it just did not get there for me. Well, who were you, were you just playing play. these with people you didn't know? No, I was playing with Tara out in uh, out in Arizona at Snakes and Lattes. Snakes and USA. Lattes. Well, Brady, you need to play with the boys. We need to get competitive <laughs> with it, tournament style, te- uh, to team team play with it. Um, and like I said, you don't have to play. It. It's like 20, 25 minutes. Maybe something at the beginning of a night, end of the night, but just 
something to change things up. And I know like other guys in the group, Jacob, he he's always asking, can we play something other than Euros all the time? He's like, I love Euros. You call me the king of Euros, but I like these other change yeah. of place. I need change something of pace to games. hit. That's what Jacob says all the time. <laughs> got to have something to something hit. And that's yeah. what you're doing the whole time. You're, you're, it's just a straight, just a free-for-all kind of combat. But you never felt like, I mean, it was the first time I played it, and I felt like I sat down and I was competitive the first time I played it. And the fault of the fun is learning your character learning your character better but then how does my character interact with certain other characters uh, so it was fun uh, and so I was really excited about it so much so that I dropped a hundred dollars on the first season wow well I um, can't I can't say that I loved it that much after my first play um, I wanted to like it uh, but I just didn't get there uh, and that segues us into our main topic here of games that we've wanted desperately to like tried to force it, and then we just have not gotten there with them. So, um, Matthew, do you want to start us off on this list? Yeah, I can start us off here. Um, and when I started looking through this list, um, a lot of these games, uh, sometimes I felt, most of these games, actually, some of them were ones I bought. But some of these are ones that some of the other guys brought that I had was interested in and brought them to the group because one thing I kind of really want to do before I spend the money on the game is research as much as possible. We've had before in the series, you know, how to buy the game, how to do the research. So we try to do the best we can to try to get a pretty good idea and give us a pretty good chance of liking the game before we even bring it to the table. Yeah, um, research is like half the fun. Of, yeah, of and, playing and we, that's we love talking about. Have you looked at this game? Have you been watching this on Kickstarter? Have you been reading up on what this new designer's dropping? But every now and then we get some duds that just <laughs> sneak through and yeah. And make it in, and, and we just have to look, well, we played it. Now we know we can move on from it. Um, and so I'm going to start off with one of my Kickstarters that I got that was absolutely, I literally, I, I did, I'm not saying I walked away from the game, but I essentially did uh, the first time we played it, and that is Tiny Epic Tactics. Um, this is one of the more recent, uh, it, it was the one right before Tiny Epic Dinosaurs, um, and it's part of the Gameland Games, I believe, is that who that's the publisher with it. Um, and it falls right into the whole stick of all the tiny epic uh, games. But what had me excited about it uh, was essentially you took the box and inside the box, there are several other boxes, and you created uh, with a rollout mat a three dimensional terrain. Um, and you can play this up to four characters, either um, everyone playing for themselves, or you can do 2v2, some different game modes. But you have four different character types. You have like a melee character, a ranged character, a beast, and a like a spell character. Uh, you have character cards, and they have health and abilities, and you can move them around the map trying to attack other players' pieces and trying to capture locations and get victory points. Um and in theory, it seemed so cool. It was so different. It fit in a tiny little box. You can play team play. But I played it with Steven and some other guys, and it just fell so flat. <laughs> um, just It was one of the things where I mentioned, like, with some of these combat games, you just have to – if someone attacks you, there's not a lot you can do. You just have to sit there, and you just have to eat it. And then what happens is there's player elimination. If you're playing four players and you're just trying yeah. to win, if you get all your pieces are destroyed, you're just out. And so I was the first one out, and I literally – stood up and I went and started playing another game with some other people at one of the game groups. Uh, and it's like, cause there's no point in me sitting there. And yeah, it's just yeah. like, after that, and it's not cause like I lost, I was like, during the entire time I was playing, I was like, this is just not fun. Nothing about this is the concept is cool. Interesting. We have a three dimensional player board that we can choose how we move our pieces and we can attack other pieces and get high ground and get advantage. Um, but it just felt just nothing about the game felt interesting or made me 
want to come back to it or play it anymore. Yeah, uh, player I, elimination is always always horrible. Yeah, I it's not on my list, but I definitely learned my lesson with the Tiny Epic games because I was super excited and backed Tiny Epic Dinosaurs. Did, did you not put Tiny Epic Dinosaurs on your list? It's I, not on the list. I was for sure are, that was going to be at the top yeah, of it. Well, that, that was like a disappointment, but I... And I guess we can kind of talk about the list. Like, I didn't necessarily want to like it. Like, okay. that was a game where I think it was maybe 20 or $30 on Kickstarter. So it's like, mm-hmm. uh, I, and they, they had the exclusives on there. So they got me. Yeah. Well, I, um, I really wanted to like Tiny Epic yeah. I even bought the extra play mats and stuff so you could change the Oof. terrain to winter and desert instead of the, yeah, the, the summer. The Tiny Epic games, I, I will never again. Like, Tiny Epic Dinosaurs was like, hey, do you like Dinosaur Island? Do you want Dinosaur Island to be microscopic to where you can't even grab the tiny little pieces? And they break they, apart? Yes. I picked up a Stegosaurus and its leg snapped off and I was trying to be delicate and I was like, this is this is too much. Yeah, the only good Tiny Epic game I've been played is Tiny Epic uh, Galaxy. That's um, the only one. I and that's the heard. only one that is really even halfway worth decent, but it's at the same time, why would I play that when I can play, I mean, it may sound harsh, but like I feel like a real game. Like yeah. why would I purposely make myself play this micro game when I can have a full-fledged experience. Yeah, Um, it just don't make sense. Okay, so my first game on the list, my number five here, is uh, a game that I I was really excited about, even though I did not like the original game, and that is um, Betrayal Legacy. I had this on my list, too. I put a couple extra just in case you had this one listed, so I'll change it up. Well, we can talk about it together. Um, but this one, so I am not a fan of Betrayal. It is, it, to me, it's like one of the most clunky games that for whatever reason, a lot of people know. Like it's like up there with like Ticket to Ride almost. And it's like that entry how, level game that people love and some people never get past and like yeah. Betrayal is that, and that's it. That's and the, the game their comes perfection. to like a screeching halt halfway through when the, when the murder happens or whatever it is. Um, but it's called betrayal. Yeah. The betrayal, the happens. betrayal happens. The haunt. The haunt. Yeah. So, but there were like so many interviews, um, like from Man versus Meeple and um, the Man versus Meeple one is what got me hyped because they yeah. specifically said we yes. are not fans of betrayal. Uh, uh, traditional. It's not a great game because it has a lot of flaws mechanically. But they said when we played Betrayal Legacy, it changed our entire way we viewed the game. Yeah. It revitalized yeah, the what, franchise. Like, it made wow, us want to like play this, more. This I was like, is exciting. Wow. Like I because the the idea behind betrayal is fun it just that mechanics and just hold it back so much and so i was thinking like wow i was really willing to give betrayal legacy a chance and uh we've played probably like six or seven games of it at least and yeah i mean and i think you've mentioned on the podcast the first one was very cool every can we can we give a spoiler warning and just mention the context of why we thought that was cool and gave us no, I, no, no. We won't get. We won't go. Into we'll, that we will give a spoiler warning, Brady. We can p- tell people to tune back in in like sixty seconds. Uh, All right, we are issuing a spoiler <laughs> warning. If you have a, if your heart Closer desires ears. to play Betrayal Legacy, just tune out for the next 60, 90 seconds. So, essentially, the first session you play of Betrayal uh, is a prologue. So it's almost kind of like a mini game. So it's a little short, probably forty five minutes. Um, but it's essentially at the beginning, everyone, uh, you know that there is a witch uh, among you, right? That one of the other people around you is the witch. Yeah, and everybody's dealt a card, like sort of like resistance style that says, you know, you are a witch or you are not a witch or whatever. So we all get dealt that card. 
And turns out, and so we're all trying to hunt the witch, and we're trying to figure out who we're it accusing is. each other, yeah. and we're thinking we're going against each other. Yeah, and then lo and behold, at the end of the game, once everyone's died, except so for Jake, one player, Jacob we and flipped, our yeah, Jacob we, was the last one standing, and we're like, oh well, all of us didn't have the witch card, so Jacob, you got us, and we flipped them over, and all of them said, "You are not a witch," and it like that just shook us. Like we were not ready for it. It was so awesome. We were like, Oh my gosh, this game. And it just sent us on this trajectory. Like this was going to be amazing. Yeah. Because um, by itself, then, it's nothing like, wow, it's a card that says you're not a witch, but the gameplay right, and, and how spoiler, we spoiler, <laughs> spoiler over, by okay. the way. So, um, so if you're, you're listening, you can start. Yeah, listening we'll, we'll close it. But essentially that prologue changed the way we viewed, uh, betrayal and what it could do and the way it could have us like metagaming while we're playing the game. Yeah. And but then every game after that was straight betrayal. Was betrayal. There was no difference. The only like, difference you were is kind that of collecting these little things so over some here. Of the but item they card, did yeah. Some of the item cards you had a sticker. You can claim them for your house, and you can name them. And if you get it, you get that same item in a future game. It's maybe better for you. Uh, and then each time you play the game, it's like you're playing the next person in your lineage. All it is, you're giving them a name and an age and something. It's literally a waste of time. Yeah. Um, now maybe it's kind of cool, but it does nothing to change. Maybe that. there's something cool in the last five scenarios. But why on earth would you make me play eight games of betrayal just to get to five unique games? It's like yeah. it 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 started getting frustrating because like why are you wasting our time yeah, with again, a promise? Again, this comes back to my more. list. It's it's so frustrating, and this is the difference between like tiny epigonosaurs and this is. Because it's so frustrating because we wanted to like it so much because that first We were getting episode together for it. You, your wife, so Jacob, well. his wife, yeah. Tara and Sage, and then myself, the five of us were. And not only were we hyped to get into it because of all the reviews, in the first scenario even got us more hyped. It's like, wow, this is phenomenal. Let's play more of this. What? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it has all the boxes in there. You open up boxes, you move, oh, lift up the trays or stuff underneath it. But at the end of the day, it felt no more different than, and we yeah. still haven't had time. It's like, okay, how exactly does this haunt interact and work? Um, yeah, yeah, we still have those like awkward moments where the haunt happens, and then somebody goes to another room, and we're kind of, you know, trying to clarify yeah. questions and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so I don't know if we'll ever finish it, and I don't know that anyone yeah. really wants to. So we want <laughs> to, no we went one. from wanting to play it as often as we could to. No one's mentioned it. Yeah. And that's really sad. All right. What is your number four? Okay. This one may be a little bit different. Um, they're one of the games that you always hear referenced when you're watching a lot of these you, uh, YouTube reviewers and stuff when you're first getting into the hobby and you're like, what are some of these classic games you need to play? And one I would always hear mentioned over and over and over again as being a foundational kind of um, game to play in a board gamer's journey. And it was a stepping stone for a lot of people and it was an early game that really uh, made a big impact and that was pillars of the earth um and why brady's laughing right now is because he knows exactly what i'm about to say and i think he agrees with me maybe a little bit here uh, but i used to see pillars of the earth mentioned all the time as these yeah, the really high guys just, just hyped, hyped it up so lot. much and so it's like okay this is a really great game i didn't have it i wasn't going out to get it but brady had it and so a while back we played, we sat down and played it and I was just like, what on earth are these people seeing in this game? It's the most just abstract, non, well, I just don't want to say abstract, but the most just like pick up cubes, spin cubes, move around a board, just plain, bland, vanilla, not uninspired, like nothing about that game is interesting. And there's just, I mean, we were literally the entire okay, time we were hang playing. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm going to pause there. Um, it, I... 
do disagree with you somewhat on this game. I like the game. I see it has not aged the best. Um, there, there are better games out there. But um, in regards to nothing interesting, there is something interesting because you're pulling out your worker, your workers out of a bag and they get placed according to how they come out of the bag. Um, and you can like pay extra money to put them out earlier. That is interesting. It's a worker placement um, mechanic that no other game uses. But it's so, not worth an hour and a half of your time or two hours. Because there's literally there's literally a worker placement spot that's like gain some points. And it's just the most... I will say, the last time we played it, it was abundantly clear that that there's one worker placement spot that gives you one point and one that gives you two points. And two points in that game is a lot. Um, you, like, you got to really work hard to get two points. And, uh, and so it just became very clear that that was like the best place to go. Like if you, if you were coming for, and then I think there's a, like a bonus card that gives you an extra point when you go there. And so it just makes it like, yeah. Ridiculous. And it's just the feeling I had of like, this game had so much respect and so much is just herald as this, the, 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 just, it needs to be in the, the, the history books for board game. I'm just like, this is a game but I Matthew, never want to look got at. Those wooden, cathedral pieces and it's and literally and it's literally pointless it's literally pointless <laughs> no, it makes it, no it keeps di- up with the round it's a round marker it's a it's a it's a it's a block that you build at round marker but all the cubes and it's just it wasn't interesting and like we were kind of just shaking our heads and laughing halfway through the game it's like what on earth are we doing even playing no i disagree with you i still like the game i do Bray, wish- do you think we'll ever play that game again I think I will play it with people that enjoy playing it. I think you, the people that you trick I, into playing it. No, no, it's no. like, hey, let's play this great game tonight. No, Pillars no. of the you, Earth. You can play... Oh, well, you can get the sequel, you, Columns of Fire. So uh, I've never heard of that one. But I do wish... Cause like Michael Menzel, of, I think, maybe did artwork for it. Or saw someone, but uh, there's a yeah, sequel. Yeah, the cover definitely looks super lame Yeah, the, it. the, the, the there, It's based off a book. Um, and then yeah. the sequel book, they also did another game based off of that. Um, all right, so that's my, my number two, Pillars of the Earth. My no, no, no that's your number four. My, my number, number four. four Are we supposed to do these in order? Yes. Oh, absolutely, Matthew. Okay. All right, my number four, and since you took a stab at me with your last one, I'm going to take a stab at you. Mine is Scythe, and I really want to like this game. I really do. I have I have spent hours this isn't painting a, this, this isn't a game. list of games you've grown to hate. This is like we played it and it wasn't as good as I You were hyped for Scythe when we first started playing it. I know. I'm that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I really want to like this game, but like every game we play makes me like it a little bit less. Do you think it's the game or it's the players you're playing with? Uh I mean cuz I feel like if you played with a group and it's nothing derogatory but like if you have you've played with a group that haven't like steven and i have played it a ton digital edition like we have pretty well idea maps out what each faction's move sets opening up need to look like if you were playing with a more casual group that hadn't played so much of it do you think you'd enjoy it better i just don't necessarily like like get the game it just doesn't click with me i i consistently score like 20 points less than you guys um i feel like at the end of the game i have so much stuff going on somebody has like six stars and has ended the game and i've got like one and i'm like about to get like five but i just cannot focus down enough to like get the crap done that i need to get done so i mean it's a game of focused optimization uh like 
it, the more you can plan out ahead and know how what action feeds into this action on this turn, it will then allow you to do the, both the top and bottom action. And then you pair that with your uh, your auxiliary reward for pay, p- people yeah. that are adjacent to you. And then that chained into a trade action. I mean, being able to think all that far ahead is how you score 30, 40 points yeah. ahead of and someone I can, else. I can do that in a lot of other different games. Just for some reason, scythes just sends me over the edge and then like to go even further i think the i'm gonna throw in the fenris expansion it's sort of like a campaign thing i really i thought that was maybe gonna change it up for me but then we we got deeper into that game and it ended up just having this weird snowball effect where the like disparity. one person yeah. kept winning and because they kept getting more rewards they just kept winning um and uh that was also steven who is like really great in the game so i'm not necessarily saying he like, you know, cheated his way to the top or anything. Uh, but like for the for those of us who already felt like we were struggling to play the game, it was just like, oh, he's got all of these powers over here now. He's got the special death laser mechs over here. There is no way we're we're winning this. And so yeah, that's how I felt toward. And that's another campaign that we have yet to finish. Yeah. Well. I don't think the campaign is honestly. I think the Rise of Fenris expansion you could get just to pull out the modules and integrate them into your game because you can play with alliances. You can. I mean, there's a lot of different uh, modules that we hadn't even got to that we can pull out and we can kind of incorporate into base game scythe. And really, that's at the end of the, that campaign. Which honestly, take it or leave it. But you get more factions. You get modules that you can integrate into your game. Yeah. Um, but I do understand. It's like it's one of those games where if you're not putting in a lot of hours to really optimize it it's hard to feel competitive and that's just not as fun and that's just how yeah. it goes so that's my number four what about your number three over there since you got them in a very specific order well tiny epic tactics may have been toward the top of my list but it's okay i'll keep going um another game that i was really hyped to play um was and i was just really disappointed but like man i just have no desire to ever play this again um, was Takenu, Obelisk of the Sun. Um, now, this is part of the the trilogy of the T-Games from the same designer of Zulkin um, and um, Teotihuacan or Teotihuacan, uh, games we both love and adore. Um, it's Daniel Tassini and Simone uh, Luciani, those type of designers. Daniel Tassini uh, was the one who was the main designer um, for the game. Um, and his other ones we love. We love a lot of these Italian designers' games. But for whatever reason, Takenu just felt like a bunch of mini games that were on the same board. Um, were you there when we played it the first time? No. Okay, you weren't there. It felt like there was a lot of mini games going on and you were just pushing levers and moving pieces and it just never f- felt interesting with what I'm doing. The whole time I played, I felt like I was it's weird to say this because I don't know if it's coming across right. It's like, I felt like I was playing to score points and not playing to play the game. Like I was honest at a point, it was like, I was just playing to just to try to score points, but I wasn't playing for fun or for enjoyment or really competitive. I was just trying to optimize some points. And obviously when we play these games, we're trying to score points that it wasn't in the fun way. It was like, okay, I'm just doing this here because this gives me some points and it never felt cohesive. Um, now, it was the first time I played it, and it is not 
the easiest of games. It has some complexity. Yeah, I think I think I'm seeing a trend in your, and I think there's a little bit of a difference between mine and your list. Is mine? Uh, I have games on there that, and we'll continue to go through this that I have wanted to love. Like, and by that I mean I have played them multiple times. Like I put in a lot of effort into trying to like the game where a lot of yours, you played it once and you were like done. And I haven't gone back to, I feel like if I had enough so desire yours are more and, of like disappointment where mine are more of like a falling out of love with him. Yeah. I feel like if I play it multiple times, it's cause I already love it. And I feel like I will love it because if, I mean, I, for whatever, I don't have a desire to keep playing a game, banging my head on the table and just knowing that I'm not going to like this anymore um, with it. Cause You're several, too quick to judge, man. Cause these games I mentioned on this list, like I have no desire to play them anymore. And my hype going into is like, this could be a game that I want to play a lot or have. A, yeah. A see, and I guess that's cause like I put Scythe on the list and Scythe is a game that I would still play. And in a game that I, yeah, I would still play and, and I even play, I'm like, all right, I'm going to give it another chance. And it's just, I feel like the last like five times I've done that, it's kind of like let me down. Yeah. Okay, but I'll These go. are the games that are like, you hurt me, you're dead to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like friends that yeah. me for too um, long. Which is sad because a lot of these type of games, like I've mentioned Daniel Tazzini, Simone Luciani, these Italian designers, when I get their games, it's like I'm hyped out of my mind because I just love so much of what they do. And my expectation is this is a game that I'm going to keep them want to have to the collection and maybe even pimp out. Um, and so it just went from, man, you could be right in here with all these other games that I love to, I have no desire to really want to play you again. And plus that, that obelisk in the middle is the most pointless, useless thing. Cause it literally, it just gets in your way. you, it, if it's a piece to move it to you, essentially you turn it to turn the dial of how the sun is facing, but it literally impedes your ability to see the board. Yeah, it's like Unlike, how do you not realize that okay. when you're designing or producing a game? You're yeah. Like, wow, here's a giant piece, uh, but you can't see part of the board, and it's not a small board. So there's people that are sitting far away, so it impedes even more their view, and you have no, to see that stuff camel to play. Up, camel up is the same way. It has this amazing immersive like fold out tree that pops up, and it's the worst because that game plays up to eight, which usually means like. There's people sitting yeah. all around the Most table. Of the time, and I always feel so bad for the people sitting behind the tree because I'm like, yeah, you're not going to be able yeah. to see anything. But time. in a heavy Euro where there's tiny little iconography where you have to just yeah. pe <laughs> peel your eyes on, uh, it's just, it's unplayable like that. And so you essentially have to move it off to the side and just lay it down. Yeah. All right. We'll bounce over to mine number three. This one is just near and dear to my heart. Um, and this one is Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Mm -hmm. So I, and you guys know this, my, uh, one of my favorite gaming campaigns ever was pandemic legacy season one. I was, you ran and rave over this yes, all the it time. It was amazing. So like literally just stand up screaming moments, so hype. And so we were the same group as me and Tara and Sage and Jacob, uh, we're so excited to get into Pandemic Legacy Season 2, which is essentially, it's sort of like Pandemic Legacy in reverse. Um, it's like 75 years after um, the world has fallen to the pandemic, and you're sort of like the last remnants of humanity trying to like um, kind of reverse things, I guess. And we played probably six to eight games of this, so we gave it a real, real college try um, but we just got like where I feel like with the first one, we every game, whether we won or lost, was just like razor thin. Um, we kind of 
um, lost by like a card flip or by like one person not going to the right spot or something like that. And in Pandemic Legacy Season 2, we just got just crushed every game. And I think maybe of the eight games we played, we won one or two max. Um, and what sent me over the edge, I think the last time we played it, we, we like I started the game and we lost the game by the time it came back around to my turn. Um, like the game was already over. We did not make it through a full cycle of the player's turns. And I know that sounds crazy. And you're like, oh, there's no way you're playing it right. We checked multiple times. Um, it may have been like a horrible series of, you know, setup and events that happened, uh, but it was awful. And I like, it was just such a stark contrast from coming from pandemic legacy season one, um, to season two. And I've heard good things about season zero and I, I feel like it gets back more to the yeah, basics like the of fun, it. Yeah. And I think based on what you're describing and some of the ways we describe these games is what hurts the most is not when we hype the game up, but the game itself hypes us up by what yeah. it's done for us previously. Like season one was the reason why you're so hyped. It's like, it's not just my own thoughts. I've played the game. Yeah. The game gave me reasons to be hyped. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so, you know, part of me looks at season zero and I'm like, is this going to be more like season one or season two? And I just... We, I haven't picked it up. I kind of want to, but I don't necessarily want to spend the money because, um, yeah, season two just left me so, so bitter. All right. What is your number two? Okay. So this this one I put in here, maybe it actually kind of more of the line how you're doing this is games that we were hyped on initially. We played it some more times. I've definitely played this game more than the other ones on the list. Um, and that is... Viticulture Essential Edition. Hmm. I have I, know this I have this. no desire to ever play this game again um, at any player count. Um, and I'm not saying it's... I don't want to say it's a bad game because I feel maybe that's too hi- hyperbolic. Um, but I think there's just... I feel so handcuffed. And every time I play it, I just feel frustrated and just aggravated. And it's not because I don't know how to play the game. And it's just... Every opportunity for something non nonsense to happen to someone to play of uh, just a miraculously the best card they could have possibly drawn and played on their turn to give them a bunch of points, they do it. For someone to have an opportunity to have a vineyard card or grape card flip over that is just perfect for them, what they needed and they picked up and used it. Uh, it's just constant and nonstop. Um, and it's just constantly frustrating just sitting there knowing what I want to do, how I can optimize this. And I'm just waiting for these people to move from one season to another. And just for the entire thing, just drawing random cards from decks and hoping that it synergizes with what you've been doing. It's just the amount of randomness and nonsense. And it's not a short game. Uh, And we played a five player, this five player game with David and Sam once. uh, And it was like a three plus hour game. What? No, I don't it was at least it one. was at least two and a half clip pushing on three hours. Uh, maybe. Um, I I am I disagree with you on this one. Um, I I like the game a lot more than you do, but I can honestly say I see why you don't like it. Um, yeah, the the you kind of just have to go in understanding that oh these cards are going to be completely random and like 
Yeah, I think you would you know, lean towards like having a market that you sort yeah, of draw from. Because I think part of the frustration like is it doesn't have to be like that. And I know yeah. I say all the time, accessibility is uh, randomness is the cost you pay for accessibility. If there was more markets, if there were more decisions you make, it'd be harder to get people into playing it. Um, but I feel like there's. But it's not like this one is like the next step up from Catan or whatever. No, like this is like a heavy. No, game. it's not. I mean, but the things, you, the concepts. You got these grapes. You can choose how you put these grapes to make your wine. You can age them. How long do you want them to sit there uh, and age to make them more valuable? Right. Those are all really great decisions you have to make. But the 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 worker placement state on the board and the card draw just just makes it so painful when I just constantly never drawing what you need. And it's not because I don't know a good strategy. It's not because I don't want to counteract someone else's strategy with mine. It's just that if you just don't draw the right cards, because you can draw cards to make your vineyards, because you have a limitation to how many cards you can have in each vineyard, right? Is that the limitation or how many grapes you can have um, in the vineyards? Yeah, something like that. But there, there is very clearly better combinations of cards to have paired in vineyards to make it way more optimal than... Yeah than others. And sometimes that's just like a straw. So you just by luck and not because you're not planning or strategic, uh, that your vineyard is just really suboptimal. And so yeah. you're not and producing anywhere near that these other people are just because they... Your, one of your other criticisms is that like the, the, and I agree with this, the pacing of the game is just strange. Like everyone is doing everything at the exact same time and i don't like, know why it's not yeah. because of the actions what you're doing it's kind of like a rondelle you're going through this cycle yeah. each round is a new cycle and i don't even mind that everyone resets at the end but the fact that like, if i prior the what the wing of mix worker placement is so great is that if you prioritize an action you can take it you may be losing something else but if that action is the most important thing to me i can go pay a cost whatever it takes and go and take that action if it's available yeah and viticulture that in-game scoring location may be more valuable to me than taking any other action. I'm willing to sacrifice some stuff to go take it. But if I'm not first player, I literally have to sit there for three seasons or whatnot, or with the essential, there may yeah. be like a little, little secondary season. The same first player is taking the same, they're essentially t first player four or five times in a row. Yeah. And you're just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. Oh, well, my the what I wanted to do, I just can't do because I'll never be first player in this entire round of the game. And so I felt, I feel like I'm always just, well, these people may not, and it's not, I'm not, I know, I know I can sound elite alpha gamer when I'm saying this, but like people who may not be thinking out those strategies as far as advance, well, they're just taking their turn. I have to sit there and let them catch up and take the turn in the next seasons where if I prioritize it differently, I could go and take those harvest actions or those wine making actions earlier while they're doing and gathering grapes. Yeah. You so almost, that's a little frustrating. It, and it, it makes it go longer too, because you almost have to have a director that is like, "All right, okay, class, you, have you passed? Have you passed? Have you passed?" It's have literally, passed? Okay, it literally feels like we're yeah. we are touring a vineyard, and Brady is guiding us <laughs> yeah. along each single step. All right, so um, yeah, I I still really like that game. It is kind of a weird mixed bag of like randomness for how heavy the game is, but okay. So my number two is, and this is a big one for me. And I'm, you know, there's another one coming out. I'm really hoping kind of the same thing with the Pandemic Legacy Season 1, Season 2 thing. Can you think of this one? Something else coming out, kind of like... Rising Sun. This one is Rising Sun. I oh. I loved, or I love Blood Rage, and I We really, adore Blood Rage. We adore Blood Rage. Probably one of my favorite games, probably in my top 10. Um, and so... 
Um, Rising Sun has a lot of the same things like giant monsters, special powers, blah, blah, blah. But for whatever reason, Rising Sun just falls flat for me. I despise the like forced diplomacy in it where it's like, oh, we basically have to be in an alliance or we're just not doing as well in the game. I do. I the more you that. say that, when you first started saying that, I wasn't as on board. But the more I play, I honest opinion is I agree with you. Yeah, with you it can't because win the game if you are not in an alliance. Although there's the betray action, which you know you can use if you're not in an alliance. The value of bonuses that you get to being in an alliance versus not is not even comparable. Um, yeah. And then what will end up happening if you're playing an even game the only way that the person in first place doesn't get an alliance is if someone just chooses to not be an alliance either. I think maybe the solution is it may be better at an odd number, like say five. So that way there's always one person who won't be an alliance and makes the weight of negotiating to not be that one person, not an alliance that much more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you could have leave, to like a, yeah, negotiate. But I feel every time alliance. we play, it's almost always an even player count yeah. and what would happen if you play like at five which i feel like five would be a good number because three may be too small is that maybe we could all choose not to line up with the person in first place because they're so far out ahead yeah but maybe they could negotiate with the person in last place to maybe make it worth it um yeah and like it just doesn't feel as strategic as blood oh, no, rage no, like no, no. where in blood rage they're they're similar like territories but you can do a lot to like block people out of those territories and that yeah. sort of thing and there it, is strategy i would say in rising sun but i feel like it's but almost it's like two different the wild, wild west like yeah all like an infinite number of pieces um can go into every territory there's a million different monsters with special powers and i'm constantly having to look over the table and say okay what does that guy do what does that special ability do and then i don't i think the combat system is is a lot more convoluted. It's Wait, it's well, probably more interesting. Do you? Yeah, I was about to say. Do you like the concept of because we love bidding, right? And we love like the mind games of you and your opponent. How much is he going to play? Like, I feel like we do. You enjoy like just the combat system by itself. Do you like enjoy that aspect of like out minding your opponent? Um, I I would uh, yeah. So I'm going to say I think it's more interesting than Blood Rage, but I like Blood Rage better. Um, because it, Blood Rage, you also have that thing where you kind of, you can win the battle and feel like you you didn't necessarily come out the best is from like a scoring perspective. Mm -hmm. But in this one, there's like so many different things. Like you can kill your people, you can take hostages, and there's just so much going on that I just get really overwhelmed. And I like literally every time end up making a horrible decision. Yeah, because there are a lot of different combat. ways you can score. Obviously just straight up winning the combat, getting the province token, helps you with your set collection of victory points, but maybe committing seppuku will get you some points. Maybe you have an upgrade to where you can steal an extra hostage, which means you can steal extra points. Maybe you can do the, the, the poets or whatnot, and you get victory points for how many other people died. So there's a lot like, a lot more, almost, honestly, I would almost say like, I enjoy that combat mechanic so much that if you could almost kind of like focus that as being a core thing in the game and strip away a lot more in Rising Sun, and so the game circled around back and forth of that com that interaction a lot more, maybe interesting. Yeah. And I so again, this is very much like the pandemic thing. Um, the, I mean, the sole reason I did not back um, Ankh, Gods of Egypt, is because of Rising Sun. Because I was like, uh, why couldn't like, you just as equally say it's because of Blood Rage? I know, but which it's is what like, I did, and it's, it's just Ankh a lot seems of a money. lot. It seems I don't know. Uh, we haven't played it, 
but it seems closer to Blood Rage than it does Rising Sun. Yeah, and I'm I'm really excited for it. I'm there's a there's a small bitter part of me that just hopes it's bad, so that I don't have to spend like a thousand dollars. But are you gonna? Or are you gonna want to buy it if it's not good? No. Yeah. So then I'll just stick to Blood Rage, and then and so either so either way in that situation, you're not gonna own the game. If it's great, it's gonna be too expensive, and you won't own it. If it's bad, it's, you're not yeah. gonna want to own it anyway. So either way, Brady, you will not own Ankh, <sighs> Gods yeah. of Egypt. But no, I'm I'm excited for yeah, it because I got like the every the only thing I didn't get for it was the art book and why people still keep putting art books on Kickstarter pledges. I'm guessing because pe- people are buying it and whoever it's you cool are, please art. stop. We like it on the board and on the cards. We don't and the rule books on the box. Yeah, <laughs> they but. did it. They they did that with video games too, and I just have never understood. Yeah. That. Um. Anyways, what is your number one? Well, I didn't realize we were doing these lists in a specific turn order. Matthew, this is how it works. Have you ever watched the Dice Tower? This yeah. is well. This, this is one is is at. the top, and you know it may be a game that I I sold this game, and maybe a game that I buy again to try out with you all. Uh, just maybe see if it's different, but that is Western Legends. Mm, okay, um, I remember playing this one with you. I actually kind of enjoyed well, it, but I only played. This it was a game I got earlier on in my gaming journey, um, and so learning it, being able to teach the one thing about that, being able to teach that game efficiently is also a big deal because there's a it's yeah. it's not a it's not a euro. It's it's kind of like it's an open world sandbox game. You could even role play a little bit, but you have a lot of freedom and flexibility. So being able to teach the game well, I feel like when I first taught it, some people I didn't teach it as well as I could have, and then maybe soured the experience a little bit. Um, but I was so hyped on this game because I love Westerns. Um, You're a huge Red Dead Redemption fan, right? Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, I love it. Love, you know, grew up watching Westerns. And so when I saw this board game that not only was Western themed, but it was kind of like it's it's like a sandbox. It's not a role-playing game to where you can just go and do everything. It does have restrictions and rules, but in the game, you can either follow a law-abiding um, path or you can follow a, a uh, an unlawful path. So do you want to be the person that is you know, working with the sheriff to go do these things, or do you want to be uh, rustling cattle and stealing from people? Because if you wanted to just, Brady, if you were just went and mined some gold, I could come and attack you and take the gold from you. Yeah. You know, but but there is combat systems in it. There's you can go and you can go play some yeah, blackjack. Yeah, you can yeah. go and gamble, <laughs> right, and try to get victory points with that. Um, but a little bit of what fell flat for me was there were some bro- there's some clearly broken scoring things where if someone was playing the game solely with the intention to just score victory points faster and win versus like getting into the good guy versus the bad guy track. Because if you're on the bad guy track, someone who's on the good guy track could come and arrest you, right? Um, But if someone wanted to just... One of the things that was broken is gold mining because there's no limit on how much gold you can mine. I specifically remember that's what I did in the game and I think I won the the only time I played. And and I was just mining hard. And so there's literally the spirit of the game, which is like enjoying the open world versus like... I'm just gaming gonna, it, yeah. gaming the game. Uh, I eventually, after I sold, I did go back online and look at some different variants you can make to where there's only so much gold you can even get, so much yeah. gold you can even carry. And there's some other little adjustments that the fan community found because there was a lot of other frustrations. But I was so hyped on it because like this is going to be a different gaming experience. There's not going to be such tight, rigid rules. We can actually kind of explore the world and make every game unique in our own. And it kind of really fell flat. And I never played it since. I ended up selling it. Um, for it, but you know, the more we've been talking about getting back into some of these change of pace games, it's been one that's been on my mind is maybe looking at getting it again because I know 
Um, Jacob never got a chance to play it. I think John would really like it as well. As I well, think Jacob played it recently though. Did he get yeah. it or did he play uh, it with someone else's copy? Played, yeah, I played somebody else's. Okay, copy. I think he said he liked it. Yeah. Um, and so there are expansions with it now. Um, uh, a set kind of a, a bigger box expansion that adds more to it. And so I think it may be a game that I might re-explore, but I still don't feel like it would ever be a game that really got played often yeah. as much. But the amount of hype I had, like, wow, this is huge. This is one of the games I'm going on in early, and it's going to revolutionize the way I played board games. And then it went from that to not really playing it ever again. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a big letdown. It broke my heart a little bit. All right. Can you guess? This is a big one for me. Can you guess what <sighs> my number one is? How old? Give me some hints. How old is the game? I. It's pretty old. <laughs> it's pretty old? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um. Well, I know TI4 is, well, Twilight Imperium itself is an older game, but that's I don't a, think you were ever decent, hyped. That's a decent guess. I do I don't think you were ever hyped for that. Twilight Imperium probably could have been a little higher. <sighs> is this, when was the last time we played this game? Uh, Not too long ago. I was have have I played it, it with you. you? Yep. It's War of the Ring. Oh. Well, I thought about putting it on the game, but it's like, I don't think it's a bad game, and I don't think it's a game I would ever not play again, potentially. It just, we did have a... No, it's a lot of letdown. I, I disagree. Like I, and I love Lord of the Rings. We it's like we one of my adore. favorite um, IPs. And what's funny is that David in our group, he's been on the podcast many times. He's never watched any Lord of the Rings stuff. And yeah. we were on the group in our group chat today, and he's like, we were mentioning David. You need to watch Lord of the Rings. And he's like, is this why you nerds love elves and dwarves and yeah. hobbits and all this little fantasy stuff? And we just all at the same time said, yes, this yeah. was like the influence in our childhood that just changed our love for fantasy. I know. And I, I specifically said, I was like this, I was like, I said, Lord of the Rings is the reason anyone loves elves and dwarves and stuff, because like this sort of like European mythology did not exist before yeah. Tolkien wrote it up. Like D&D, all of that stuff would not have existed. Um, and so, yeah, every time we've played this game, I, I again, I love the movies. And when somebody was like, oh, if you want to play the Lord of the, the definitive Lord of the Rings board game, you need to play War of the Ring. And I disagree on that statement. Every, every time we've played it, we kind of like look up and I'm just like wondering like, what are we doing wrong? Like so many people rave about this game and it just ends like on a total dud Nothing about the game excites me. The combat is very straightforward and boring. Um, you're like rolling dice, like akin to like risk or something like that. Yeah. Um, and the cards are just really specific. The even the artwork is just really dull looking. Well, the artwork I feel like is inspired from some original art, older art pieces. Yeah. Um, but, but I feel it, like a lot of the crowd that loves this game also loves a lot of other kind of fantasy flight. All these kind of Star Wars Imperial Salt, the Mansions of Madness, all these yeah, Cthulhu games. Yeah, what is the Star Wars version of it? It's like... Confrontation? No, Rebellion. Or Rebellion. Rebellion. Yeah, it's made me want to play Rebellion because that, that one's like newer. Um, but again, I yeah, we just, we end it and I'm like, I just, I really want to like it. I want this game to be good. Yeah, but. and we talked about it on the podcast a couple of weeks back. I mean, everything is like, wow, like every action you do in this game has a thematic tie and it makes sense why you would want to do it in the universe. But we both said it, it just felt like you were playing thing. out the same story. David, he was like, Hey, we, like, and I, I have War of the Ring kind of up for trade, like a soft trade. And David was like, Hey, before you get rid of, rid of War of the Ring, I, I want to play it. I'm like, David, David, you, 
Like, you cannot enjoy this game. I don't even think you could understand why you're doing what you're doing in the game. There would be no point to playing this game if you were not a fan of Lord of the Rings. Like, And so that's yeah. also a, a, a positive and a negative. Like, it's positive because this thing is deeply rich in theme and context for those fans. But then at the same time, it's almost inaccessible for anyone else who's not a fan of the theme in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so that, that was a big one for me. And um, so if someone asked me honestly right now what my favorite Lord of the Rings game is, um, do you know what it would be? Is it Lord of the Rings of the Confrontation? The Confrontation. Brady, yeah. I that may be one of my favorite two player games. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. really good. That and Watergate. I, you know, I, I, I enjoy some Wonder Soul too. These skirmish games, but I love these like middle ground games that have just a, a little bit of randomness, maybe with the deck of cards. Um, but the, it, it has more of the feel of chess of like, you make a move and I'm, I'm pulling right back on that move. And, um, that's what I feel with like Watergate. That's what I feel with Lord of the Rings Confrontation. Yeah. Seven Wonders Duel is a, a, it not as a much. little bit it's more a, random. Yeah, yeah, definitely does. And so like and I mentioned, we've talked about Watergate and the confrontation. What's another, I feel like we've played another two player game that was similar. It just lived in my mind, but essentially it's it's a mind game because i know what you have you know what i have we just don't know maybe what's in our hand or how we're gonna play it yeah and so it really is a battle of minds bluffing and that sort of stuff yeah and so that's and and the thing is the actually i well the thing about the confrontation makes it lord of the rings thematic is that the characters what the characters do is based on their theming but it works really well together i just do there is the battle of the five armies did you ever play that one? I didn't, and it, it seems to be a little more combat heavy. I would be like willing a, to give it a chance, but there's I, I'm not giving it a chance to buy it. It is again way too expensive. And after how expensive is it? I mean, it's about the same as as uh, War of the Rings, so like around a hundred dollars retail. Really? Or, okay, I didn't yeah. realize it was that much, but I feel like it's more of the traditional dudes on a map combat yeah, game where yeah. you're not stuck into one storyline. Yeah, I I definitely be willing to give it a shot if somebody had it, but. And that is not me. I still feel like there's just not a... That's all we need, Brady. We need a great Euro-themed Lord of the Rings game. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah we need Alexander Pfister. I know you listen to our podcast on the regular and on repeat. <laughs> my boy, my homie, the savior of Euro gaming. I would like for you to make a Lord of the Rings-themed yeah. Euro after with, you get finished with the Great Western Trail trilogy. With good artwork. That's what, that's what it needs. There's very few Lord of the Rings games that have good artwork. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's transition right along into our closing segment and I just kind of want to apologize um, for whatever reason the last closing segment we did which was the geek madness stuff um, I've been scouring on board game geek we still have not gotten a winner for that I don't know maybe what's there's up with a that. scandal some discrepancies I know yeah um, I just need to know if terraforming war terra, terraforming Mars won because I will be I know really hyped on mine if i actually pick the winner for this yeah so we uh we're just gonna move on from that if and that we find ever out we'll let you up, know <laughs> yeah we'll let you know but we are gonna get move into another closing segment yeah, we're gonna have May. a new series for us right and what do you what are we calling this one we'll call it the chopping block the chopping so block one i like of, it one of matthew's um new year's resolutions i think was trying to cull his collection down to well a hundred games. Yeah, so I like at the, when we started at the beginning of the year, I had I hadn't quite hit a hundred games yet. But my goal was once I hit a hundred games to keep my games at a hundred. So whenever I get a new game in, if I want to keep it, I have to get rid of another game. So that way my feeling was a hundred games was a collection size that you could get played 
reasonably. Obviously, some more yeah, than others. I agree. But you can get things flowing in and out. You can play a lot, and it is also diverse enough to where it could fit a lot of. You could have some very niche games, but then you can have all everything for parties to have a Euros, which we have plenty of. <laughs> yeah, and if we have if we have like four people in our group that each have, you know, a hundred games, that is a lot of diversity there. So, but for some reason, we all tend to when we love a game, like the fact that one of us has it is not not even a consideration whether or not one of the other ones ones of us buys it. That's not true for me. I think Jacob no. is the only one who like immediately buys something. I will say like. I love Lorenzo, Marco Polo, Underwater Cities, and I am not tempted um, to buy any of those because yeah. I know you ha have them. And honestly, I probably would be a little more tempted to buy them if you didn't have like amazing upgrades for them. Because I'm like, it's, oh, a, it's a big it investment to, to try to. Yeah, it's like if it comes to you know playing my copy or playing Matt's copy, we're gonna play Matt's copy every time, and so uh, so that like derails me. And and you know you I don't necessarily. Um, aspiring to this like hundred collection limit, but I have so wow. many. How many games do you have in your collection right now? Probably around a hundred, but uh, I don't know the exact number. It's kind of always. That's why you got to keep up with your board game geek yeah. list. Well, keep I've things got, itemized I've got and played and ranked. But I've got so many games right now um, that I just am not a big fan of. That I cannot justify spending actual money. Um, on a new game without getting rid of these games first or, or without trading. So that's kind of where I'm at. So um, you started with the list. I'll start with what is on my chopping block. Yeah. And that is role player. So I don't... Did this you is ever, almost... I, I had this on my backup for the games I had for Disappointed with. Disappointed. We, yeah. we played... You've played it, I think, several more times, but I've played it just once. It was me, you, uh, and Jacob. And the whole time, I'm just like... Where is the hype for this coming from? This is yeah. boring. And, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and it's an okay game, and I don't, I don't really have room for okay games in my collection at this point. Um, and I think for what it is, it is just a little too long. I know what is the other mm. like dice game um, that's got like the stained glass. It's not a it's not Sagrada. Like yeah, Sagrada. I think Sagrada gives the the same feel but in a much more approachable game in a much faster game um i don't even have sagrada in my collection i think jacob does uh but yeah i i just the la i the last time we played it it took probably two hours and it's just yeah. very fiddly you know, this, and i was like af after that game i was like this game's done you know it very well could have made our themeless game because that is a tacked on theme yeah definitely. With, like it literally all it is is put these colored dice with these numbers in these rows, try to get numbers and you score more points. Yeah. That's literally all it is. This whole fantasy realm and it's is super just... cool. Like the world, you know, that like, obviously it's like a direct copy of Dungeons and Dragons, but like the artwork is good. Um, it's just, it's just too much. Um, Sagrada, yeah, again, Sagrada just does exactly what it does just faster and more streamlined and better. Um, so what is, so that's on the chopping block. Yeah. If you're wanting role player, I've got the the base game in the Monsters and Minions. So hit us up on the on the gram and uh, shoot me a good trade or something. <laughs> what is what's on your chopping block? Yeah, so I have a couple games. Obviously, I rank all of my games a board game geek, and so that way I can keep track of not only which games are getting played, but obviously I can rank them by my ratings. And so I can look at. I have several games. I have. One, wait, two, wait, wait, wait. So we're gonna we're doing we're gonna do one 
per per episode. Week, yeah. Yeah. And so I think the first one here that I want to have gone, and I've only played this game once or twice. It's a 2018 game uh, by Ryan Lockett. Uh, if you know anything about Ryan Lockett, he designs, he does all the artwork and stuff. Uh, and that is Megaland. Have you, do you remember uh, ever seeing I anything re- about this? I game? remember, I know the box is like a pink box and that is about yeah. it. So the concept is like, you're these video game characters trying to go through different levels. Essentially it's a push your luck little engine building the game to where um, each round you your character is going to have to be trying to survive different cards that get flipped that simulates going through different levels of this game. Um, and if you're powered up enough, you can keep going. But at any point in time, you can choose, I'm going to keep staying in this dungeon or I'm going to leave. Uh, because if you leave, you get to keep all your stuff. If you die, you lose a lot of stuff and you don't get as much when you're going to the market. Um, but it, it's not necessarily a bad game. It's just so light and so simple, and it doesn't necessarily do anything extremely well. There's a lot of other push-your-luck type games, little engine-building type games that uh, you can play, um, but it, I feel like it's a game that looked really interesting, uh, and I bought earlier on when I was building out my collection, and it's just never gotten played. I've never had any desire to get it um, to the board, um, to the table to play, um, so that I'd say is one of my games that the, the next game I get that goes over a hundred, that's going to be the one that I look to get rid of. I don't know. The thing is, I don't even know who would buy it because I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of copies that even the distributors haven't been able to sell of it. I know. And this is rough. I almost like wish there was just some dump you could take your games to and just get like the bottom the ga- dollar. The for GameStop it. version of board yes. games. Because what's crazy is that board game stores. Nowadays, I don't believe even buy used games. Yeah, Um, it's so hard to get rid of games sometimes. Yeah, because the reason why I think is because if they buy used games and sell them, you'd be more likely to buy a used game from them than the new one. And they make their money on selling the new games. Yeah. All right, so that is going to do it for this week's episode. Matthew, why don't you hit them with all of the social media goodness? Yeah, so you can follow us on Instagram at the discussion phase. You can also follow us on Twitter now. Oh, what's our Twitter handle? It's it's not quite the discussion phase. It's it just is discussion phase. Discussion phase. We or chopped you, the the. Yeah, because Twitter isn't cool like that. Wouldn't let us have a big enough handle. Uh, or you can write us, uh, send us questions, uh, comments. Uh, we'd love to have anything that you would have. You may even make it on the show if we want to read it on the here. Uh, at the discussion phase at gmail.com. Uh, but that's going to be it for today's episode. So as always, I'm Brady. I'm Matthew. And this has been... The The discussion discussion phase. phase. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of The Discussion Phase. If you enjoyed our content and like to hear more, make sure to tune back every week for new episodes dropping. You can join us at The Discussion Phase on Instagram for new reviews, drop games, things we've gotten played lately. You can also join in the discussion at discussionphase at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody.